0: For over 5,000 years of documented history, people have been using the cannabis plant as medicine. From ancient Chinese medical journals to the modern day dispensaries, cannabis and its many medical uses have found their way to every continent on Earth. Today, as the prohibition against this plant is slowly being lifted around the world and our technological capacity grows exponentially, we finally have the opportunity to discover what this plant is truly capable of. Please join me Matthew Myro, as I speak with the remarkable innovators working at the cutting edge of these discoveries. This is the edge of cannabis medicine. This episode is brought to you by MJ.com and their brand new medical platform that they're rolling out in the San Francisco Bay Area. Have you visited MJ.com? MJ.com is the most trusted information source for all things cannabis. Whether you're a medical marijuana patient looking to find the right doctor or a consumer looking for exclusive savings at your favorite dispensary, MJ.com can bring you your favorite products right to your front door. Or maybe you're just a lover of the cannabis culture looking for the best original articles, interviews, podcasts, and educational information. MJ.com is the number one place to find everything you need. Visit MJ.com today. (laughs) Hello beautiful people, welcome to another episode of the Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast. You're here because you know this is the place to be for all the latest information from experts in the field of cannabis medicine. And this week, I have a real treat for you guys, Dr. Harry McElroy. I got the chance to meet Dr. Harry a few years back at an event that was put on by a mutual friend and have been hoping to get him on the show ever since. And he did not disappoint. He brought incredible information. He has really great experience on the ground with patients and some really cool ideas around formulations and proper dosing and really finding a way to medicalize medical cannabis. Because everything else, even ancient Chinese herbalism, has its roots in really precision medicine and dosing. And he's really trying to bring that to the way that he treats cannabis. It's an incredible conversation. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. So without further ado, here it is, Dr. Harry McElroy. I'm Matthew Myro, and this is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast. And today's guest is Dr. Harry McElroy. As a medical doctor, Institute of Functional Medicine Certified Practitioner with extensive training in osteopathy, yoga, and meditation, Dr. McElroy integrates his deep knowledge of both Eastern and Western medicine to serve every patient's health and vitality. His training in traditional Chinese herbal medicine introduced him to cannabis medicine over 20 years ago. The potency and complexity of cannabis provide for wide-ranging treatment options and protocols. Dr. Harry enjoys utilizing his knowledge of functional medicine and herbal expertise to help guide patients to the most effective way to use cannabis to assist with their health and healing. Dr. Harry, thank you so much for being on the show. Hi, Matthew. Thanks so much. I'm really um, excited for this and have have
1: enjoyed listening to some of your early episodes rolling out. I really appreciate the focus
0: on Cannabis medicine, absolutely, and uh, yeah, appreciate you wanted to be here and listening too. It's always fun when guests do a little research beforehand.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, great.
0: Yeah, cool. Well, let's dive in. I'd like to hear a little bit about your history and your confrontations with cannabis medicine. Okay, super. Yeah, so
1: you know, as as with most of us, it's always a long and winding road, and and. I came to cannabis through, um, a, a somewhat traditional medical background. My father, both my grandfathers were physicians and, um, I, I got to UC Santa Cruz thinking I was going to be pre-med and I pivoted after about eight or nine weeks and, and ended up going into the humanities, um, and doing a lot of organic farming and, and working with herbs at that point. Um, and then after that, I went and got a master's in acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine. And that's really where, um, the medical um, focus aspect of, of cannabis was, was first revealed to me. You know, they had been using it um, for a couple thousand years. It's in the Materia Medica, everything from the roots um, to the stock, the fiber, um, clearly for different indications than we have now because we didn't have the, the THC flowers um, uh, then as, as we do now, um, but really started working with it, getting um, aware of the different things that cannabis um, can and cannot do Uh, And then I finished that and um, spent a couple years in India where also I was introduced to, um, you know, really, that's the that's one of the one of the places that it came out of, if not the place up in the. the Himalayas in the foothills and and saw what they were doing, both spiritually. I think the spiritual aspect of cannabis is, has been something that um, is a big part of the reason that people really enjoy having it be a part of their lives, um, but also from a medical aspect as well. And after that, I went back to um, medical school at the University of Arizona, where Dr. Andrew Weil has been a longtime friend and mentor to me, and he, he actually did the first cannabis study while he was... Um, Uh, still an undergrad at Harvard. And so really having that always be a part of the conversation, but it really wasn't until I was in residency and I started to have patients come in, bringing in their unused bottles of opiates saying, Oh, you know what? I, my knee still hurts, but I I don't need as many of these opiates or any at all because I started using cannabis either orally. um, Typically at that time, this was almost 10 years ago. That was you know, smoking or or vaping. And then a lot of them salves as well. I mean, saying, hey, if I rub this on my knee, um, I don't need the opiates. And so then I don't have the danger associated with that. I don't have the constipation. I don't have other things. And so it was a little bit of a head scratcher at that point. I was you know, surprised it wasn't just at that point, the process of ameliorating the symptoms from HIV AIDS, um, uh, cancer pain, other things like that. It was really like, oh, this can be something that helps, you know, a lot of different modalities and and so i i started asking around to see you know who was really having more of a clinical approach to this um rather than just okay great here's your here's your uh, prop 215 card and good luck which is i think um you know, had its place, but I think that place is, is, is in the rear view mirror at this point. And I was introduced to Mara Gordon, um, who's just one of the luminaries in the cannabis field. And she really, she trained as a systems process engineer and, um, really brought this idea of precision dosing to the, um, forefront. And that really resonated with me, you know, within, within herbal medicine in general, like if you're talking about, you know, ginseng or, or, um, honeysuckle, whatever Chinese herbs you're talking about, it's not just like grab a handful and go for it, right? This is, you know, really over the millennia precision dosing. Okay, you're going to start with three and a half milligrams of ginseng, then you're going to get, you know, the next herb and you're going to build this formula. And so that idea of coming in and saying, okay, well, let's, let's look at the different cannabinoids and let's look at the dosing. Let's look at the timing of the dosing really resonated with me from, from a clinical perspective. And, and I was very um, lucky to, to benefit from some really good early mentorship. Um, and, and at that point, Really started working with it more regularly. As with everything, right? I started going to conferences. I started reading, um, and then I started working with patients because ultimately you got to do that. Um, and 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 also just really enjoyed that that back and forth because you know working with cannabis, it is an herb. It's a very potent herb. I like to say it's a pharmacy in the flower and a flower. It, it really has a wide swath of capabilities, but it's very different than if someone has a urinary tract infection and you order a seven day course of antibiotics, that's, that's the end of the conversation with cannabis. When you start talking about a recommended dosing, um, protocol or regimen, that's the beginning of the conversation. And, and it really is implicit in that relationship that you're having some ongoing interaction, right? You need to know how well it's working. If you're, um, Getting new imaging or lab tests, you really want that feedback. You know, if they ever are um, switching their pharmaceutical regimen, if they have to be on pharmaceuticals, it's really important to know those adjustments. Cannabis is, for the most part, pretty friendly with most other herbs and pharmaceuticals, but absolutely not all of them. And and you know, we've got good data to support that as well. And so it really is treating cannabis medically, right. And really approaching it in the same way that we do um, other herbs and certainly supplements and pharmaceuticals. And and, uh, it continues to be a very interesting um, time and interesting uh, ride. Absolutely. And I I really, it's been one of my, you know, favorite things that that I've really done in the last 10 years from a clinical standpoint.
0: Yeah. And so with this dosage, How are you experiencing the different effects um, as as far as administration goes? What do you find you're able to have the most control over dosage-wise? Yeah.
1: This is a great question. So, so pretty much absolutely. It's, it's doing um, infused oils or tinctures doing sublingual um, administration that allows for a couple of things. And again, it it depends on what indication, you know, you're trying to address, but, but it it allows you to be precise, right? You, and some of the companies um, are doing a really good job. You get a, uh 60 ml or two ounce bottle of an infused oil and it says you know 30.2 milligrams of thc per milliliter it then has a scoring right on the side of the dropper and so you're like when you say hey i'd like you to start and always start low and go slow that's kind of the mantra um as far as like having success without having the adverse effects um, but you're able to say, OK, I want you to start at two milligrams of THC first thing in the morning after you've you know, eaten and brushed your teeth. Um, and then we're going to go, for instance, if it's for pain, that's most likely not going to be enough for most people. But it's going to be safe. And I can have confidence that I'm not going to get a call from the emergency room, you know, which cannabis is is absolutely safe. The people that go to the emergency room because they had too much THC nothing is done for them there other than some reassurance and maybe some fluids, right? There's, there's, you know, there's, there's not, they're not doing something special in the hospital, but you don't want anybody having to go through that um, if you don't have to. Right. And so I know with confidence, if they start there and then go up by one or two milligrams per day, you know, they have the agency of saying, okay, I know what two milligrams feels like. I'm going to go to three or four tomorrow. And so they're, they're very clear. You know, clarity in medicine is always a good thing. Confusion never is a good thing, right? And so I think the ability to reproduce the efficacy, or conversely, if they had a bad experience, they know exactly how much they took, right? And so that's for the most part where I start. The other benefit of that is that, um, you know, it is going through hepatic metabolism in your liver. It, it typically takes longer for it to kick in. So it's not a great, wow, I'm in acute pain right now. You know, it takes, 30 to 60 minutes generally for them, for folks to start to feel um, the effects, but it also lasts quite a bit longer. Um, And so I think that when you're talking about, let's talk about chronic pain specifically, when you're talking about chronic pain, that allows you to have a baseline, right? In a reproducible way, no, okay. You know, I 10 milligrams in the morning, 15 in the afternoon, and then something at bedtime that works pretty well, but you're going to have variations in how well your pain is being controlled day to day. So for those as needed, we we say PRN um, uses. That's really the only time that I specifically think that the vaporization, um, from a medical standpoint, is a good idea. It really can sort of boost that the long acting that you're that you've started on. It really can it can you know you're feeling it in thirty seconds or a minute. And so uh, you know for acute pain, sometimes for insomnia, if people are have a big morning and they've had a long day, and they're, they're really stressed around um, not being able to get enough sleep, I, again, almost always start with the sublingual administration, 30 to 60 minutes before bedtime. But there are days where that's not kicking in enough, or this, that, and the other, and the, the, um, the vaporization can kind of, uh, you know, basically potentiate that and make it happen more quickly. Th- those are, you know, the lion's share of, of how I uh, recommend cannabis be used. the salves. My experience with salves like Arnica, for instance, which is homeopathic, like topical for pain. Some people it works really well. Some people, it doesn't work as well. I think that's, there's individual variability as far as, um, uh, absorption through the skin. So there are people I've had people that are using a, a topical cannabis salve on their knee. And like that was one of the first patients he came in and says, I don't I don't said he didn't need the opiates or Norco anymore, um, because he was getting such a, a positive relief from doing the topical. I don't find that to be all of the time. And there's some people that do the topical. It's, you know, it's really good for moisturizing the skin. There's some really interesting stuff going on with dermatology as far as uh, skin cancers and the THC actually killing, you know, the tumor cells, especially with the basal cell carcinomas. But in general, it, for me, it's variable. You know, another one that comes up a lot are the suppositories because, um, you know, when people go on to Dr. Google, one of the things that they might come across is, or is doing like extraordinarily high doses of THC, um, as, far to, as far as as far like a, a panacea cure, which has not been my experience. I don't know any researchers and very few clinicians that are following that, but, you know, people are looking for answers and, and sometimes that's what pops up right away. Well, you start trying to do a gram a day of THC pretty much all humans, that that ends up being quite a bit too much. And so in desperation for success for whatever their ailment is, they will say, I can't do that, but let's try a gram rectally, right? And, and then it will often be like, oh, wow, this is working great. I feel awesome. I can, you know, do whatever. Well, THC crosses the blood brain barrier. And if you're doing a, a gram of high percentage THC and not having any psychoactivity, I'm not sure you're absorbing much of it, right? There are some caveats to that, and it's the same thing with the transdermal absorption. I have had some patients use the rectal suppositories and especially for localized pain, and they're getting benefit. And so, you know, you always have to lead with humility in medicine and listen to your patients, but, um, but I do have a basic rubric from which I start, and it's usually starting with the, with the sublingual oils um, and then going from there.
0: Yeah, so I imagine with using the sublingual oils and these extractions, It sort of takes away the sort of unpredictability of the cultivation process, and you can become much more precise because of the lab testing involved and all that.
1: Absolutely, you know what you're getting, and and I think that's important. Period. But you know, I often work with patients in their 70s, 80s. I think my oldest has been 96 or 97. I mean, I am ground zero on that. Is let's not have any falls, right? We don't want to um, affect anyone's um, equilibrium and have them fall over and break a hip, right? And so that allows me with confidence to start at an exceedingly low dose, right? It's it's typically not something that you're that's an acute trauma that you're working with. It's often a chronic um, uh, disease process. And so, you know, what I often tell patients is my goal is to not have this go away tomorrow. It's to really have you get relief in a week or two. And, and the benefit of that slow procession is that it's going to be safe. And they're not, not—I've you know, touch wood, I've never had a patient, you know, fall and, and, and get a fracture, even with working with people in their, you know, 70s, 80s and 90s. And so um, it really uh, allows me go forward with confidence and again it really allows the patients too because you know i work with a lot of cannabis naive patients and the less confusion as i alluded to earlier the better right so if someone can pick something up and be like oh i this makes sense to me and this is how i'm going to take it great right and we need more of it right we need more companies to to be focusing on on the medical uh aspect of cannabis and really have it with that mindset of like, okay, this is going to be a patient, not, not a recreational user, what tools and confidence can I give them so that they can pick this up and be safe and effective?
0: Right, right, right. And uh, we don't have to go into it if you don't want to, but the, the trochee administration has been really fascinating to me. And I know you've been doing a little bit of work on that. And just as, as far as like the total harm reduction as far as application, that seems like a really positive way to go. Absolutely. And uh, yeah,
1: there's a, a, a company that I work for the form, formulation with called Troscriptions, and we're doing some novel, novel formulations and, and compounds. And it, I, I do like the troche. I mean, that really comes from more of the of, um, hormone focused medicine where you're able to absorb something buckly through the side of your mouth. It's a very slow onset. It's similar to, you know, the oils in the sense that it's still oral. The idea with the oils as well and I didn't mention that is you know, you put it under your tongue, you hold it there for 30 seconds or a minute or a little bit longer, and you're getting absorption through um, the mucosal membrane in the mouth, which allows you to get the activity happening more rapidly, but it also allows you to be extracting or absorbing the parts of the cannabis that have not been processed through the liver at that point. And and there's some benefit to that as well. So the trochees are somewhat similar to that too. You're actually getting the absorption Um, it's also been, I think, fun because we're able to, to use other, um, nutraceuticals and other herbs in that and, and really start working on the formulation of, of cannabis, right? When you look at, at, I think the the oldest herbal traditions where they really it's you know the documentation is is uninterrupted for thousands of years. You're you're talking about Chinese medicine and Ayurveda, the traditional system of India, and you know it's very rare that you use single herbs. They're used a lot in the in Western herbalism, but you know in Chinese medicine, not rare. It basically doesn't exist, right? It, everything is used in in formulation, and so you you know you get this synergy effect of of working with the different energetics of different herbal properties. So I think two things with that, with cannabis, first of all, again, because cannabis is just so amazing and has all the other cannabinoids, has all the terpenes, you're able to actually just work with one plant And play that symphony in different ways, right? But the other aspect of it is, and it's starting to happen, right? If you're using uh, cannabis for pain, whether it be THC or CBD or a blend of the two, you know, adding in some curcumin, which is the extract of turmeric, right? Making sure that people are getting essential fatty acids that really helps with joint support and actually helps to feed the endocannabinoid system, right? There's so much there that's just starting to get kind of unroofed. And so, You know, playing around with some formulations and starting to go forward that is it really fits with my herbal background. And quite honestly, it's a lot of fun because it's you're you're formulating and you're not exactly always sure what you're going to what you're going to get. But um, but that process and working with a a group of physicians has been um, has been a lot of fun
0: and continuing to do that. Yeah, for sure, and I've heard CBD referred to as an adaptogen. So you know, making yeah. formulations with like ashwagandha, rhodiola, whatever. A
1: hundred percent, no, and I think, and I think that cannabis in general. I think when you start talking about something that feeds the endocannabinoid system, that's adaptogenic, right? You're, you're helping to to um, bring the you know keep the body in a state of homeo, homeostasis, and so I think that um, you know that's a whole other thing about should low doses of cannabis, right? Sub. Therapeutic sub psychoactive doses of cannabis be something that um, a lot of people use more regularly and generally, right? Almost as like a, a super
0: vitamin, right? It's it, yeah, absolutely to support your body. Yeah, I think we've seen that with this this CBD craze that has pretty much taken over the United States at this point, and which it's dicey at best, but. I think that we're seeing more of that and especially with not just the isolates but with the whole spectrum thing that we're getting as long as it's below the threshold of point 0.3%, all that. So um, and in that regards, what are your feelings around isolates and uh, for his full spectrum and all that?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I definitely like whole plant extract. Like that, that is, uh, I think, where my heart and training is. That's also really I, where I think the efficacy is. I mean, I've had a number of patients that I've worked with um, you know, with seizure disorders, you know, similar to what Charlotte Figge was, was experiencing in Colorado so long ago, that I've seen patients that are having good control on a certain dose of typically a CBD-predominant um, chemovar and, you know, from the flower, and for whatever reason, they move, cost something, they start doing hemp derived CBD. And it's not that it doesn't work. And and again, we need so much more data. And I'm I'm giving you a handful of, of anecdotes from, from my practice. But oftentimes and almost always in in a fairly short order, they need to be doing higher doses of the hemp derived than than the whole plant, right? There is something in the whole that that you can't really reproduce by taking it apart through different forms of extraction and then putting it back together. You know, I mean, in some of the pharmaceutical companies, I mean, clearly they can work, right? Some of the stuff that GW Pharmaceutical has done with Epidilex and Sativex, I mean, we're seeing some good responses. Um, It's just we're not necessarily doing head to head with some of those medicines from whole plant extract, right? You know, I mean, mean, maybe the whole plant works as well and it would be a lot cheaper and, in my mind, in some ways safer.
0: And do you think that has anything to do with um, the difference between the CB1 and CB2 receptors and how CBD and THC interact with them differently? And by activating the entirety of the ECS, we're getting more of an effect? I don't...
1: I think certainly there could be more of a modulation occurring. I mean, the the, the reality is the majority of research that has been done, it's all on isolates, right? It's isolated compounds because that's what they could do in, in a research capacity, either in the US or in Europe. I think that that what we're seeing and, you know, Mara Gordon working in conjunction with uh, Dr. Christina Sanchez in Madrid, one of the leading cannabis and cancer researchers in the world. You know, they have done a couple of small studies actually showing whole plant versus the isolate. And it it really seems that the whole plant, you know, is more effective again and again and again. We need to really address how this um, how this medicine is scheduled so that we can actually do some appropriate research. We've been very much. limited in our ability to produce quality research because of of the ability of researchers to have access to it. But yeah, I have not been as impressed with isolates for sure. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah.
0: seems to be the case with most of the physicians I I speak to. Yeah. 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 Uh, So uh, as far as patients go and your work with them, and so being in California, obviously it's an adult use state. So the people that you're working with are clearly coming to you because they want the medical application of it. And I'm just wondering what that relationship is like. Um, how often do you feel like you need to discuss things with them to find out how the dosages are working and things like that?
1: Yeah. And so, it, and so there isn't like a, a, you know, a specific um, protocol as far as follow-up. But what it typically is, is you know, I do 45 minutes to an hour-long consults with people. And that allows me to go through their past medical history, all their medications, um, you know, having a discussion around what they're wanting to use it for. I also, I've, I've got, uh, uh, you know, a lot of experience in, in lifestyle medicine and fasting. And so we'll often talk about that, like ways that you can, you can basically help the, the body respond more appropriately, regardless of, of what the cannabis dosage is. And so, um, you know, going through that and then depending on what it is, you know oftentimes I, I will typically have a number of of emails and occasionally um, phone follow-ups in the first you know two or three weeks or a month to get people to make sure that they've got, got questions about how they're getting on the protocol I mean I've, I've been doing this long enough that I've I with a fair amount of confidence can get people started but everybody's different you always have outliers right and some people the way they're metabolizing it they might be need higher doses, some people lower doses. Sometimes, like I said, working with older patients, I, I start much more conservatively and I'm not increasing the dose typically every day. So it, it, it really is depends. Right. And, and other folks, um, you know, they they hit it out of the park right off. Right. Maybe it's insomnia. And within four or five days, they find their sweet spot and I don't hear from them again. Right. And so it really just um, it just varies. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of insomnia, this is uh, something that you mentioned in the form I had you fill out about biohacking and all that and using, I see you waving your hand around with the aura ring on it. Yeah. And so obviously you like to to track and trace yourself and what you've got going on. Have you noticed any kind of reactions um, with with the HRV, with the heart rate variability and cannabis and things yeah. like that? So, I mean, a lot of what I do around
1: that is in the sleep tracking and it's a lot with the temperature control. Like I, I recently got one of the Uller, which is part of the the chilly technology where you're able to set your, um, set your uh, mattress temperature to a, a lower um, temp. It's quite honestly, I mean, we've always, historically we slept in colder environments because we were somewhere in the realm of outside, right? And so I think that, you know, really looking at these mismatch, Diseases that we have, whether it be diabetes, because we're eating so many processed carbs and not exercising. I think with the the sleep and how I really use that is, um, I actually sleep pretty well. Once I finish residency, I realized that was that was the biggest uh, impediment to good sleep for me. But um, but you know, have occasionally used cannabis for that and you know, typically what I'm finding, certainly with the cooler temperatures is it increases my my deep sleep, the percentage of, of time in deep sleep, which is one of the most restorative stages of that. Um, and I think that the the cannabis can also help get you into that um, more relaxed state. And, you know, I've played around with it a little bit. I haven't done any anything formal with that, but I think that, you know, it's important to get sleep. I also think it's important not to have anything that you do on a regular basis if you can, if you can help it. So I don't think that cannabis is, you know always the only answer right so there are other things that we can do to you know making sure that you know all the stuff around sleep architecture and, and making sure that we're we're moving in the right direction um and then cycling through things like i think that's really important um you know i it's almost impossibly possible for me even if it was in a dark out room to sleep past five or five fifteen or this close to the solstice it's just Summer's here, and I, I I can't personally sleep late, and so it's taking all of that into consideration. And I think that herbal medicine, because because of its ability to be um personalized right so one of the main tenets of of biohacking right because of its ability to be personalized it really lends itself so well to that right and so um and i think that's one of the things around formulation it's just like well for relaxation maybe it's you know doing higher doses of cbd but maybe we add some L-theanine right which is one of the components of green tea that it really has more of that that chill vibe to it right isn't as disruptive to the system as caffeine right so i think that there are a lot of things that we can do with that and maybe as you mentioned adding in some of the adaptogens like ashwagandha or rhodiola and that really allows you to to be more customized and ultimately it is that data and that felt sense by the patient that's going to determine if it works or not, right? I mean, I it's, if you've got a doctor telling you, you know, this is exactly how it's going to go, and if, and if you don't have that experience, you're wrong. Like, that's not someone you want to work with, right? So it, yeah,
0: clearly. Yeah.
1: it really is, you know, clinically, I, I mean, I think most physicians, it's like we love the engagement. And so it really is that relationship that we're working
0: on. And it's ongoing and variable. And that's great. Yeah, absolutely. So I got another biohacking question for you since we're on the topic. So uh, you mentioned that you like to use the far infrared sauna and why far versus near and or even infrared versus traditional?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the the issue you know, with the far infrared is it's, it's the ability to penetrate deeper into the body. Like I have a, a far infrared um, sauna called the Relax sauna that actually your head's out. What I like about it is it heats up in about five minutes. And so you can get a good sweat going in less than 10 minutes. And so I think with that, you're, you're, when you start talking about, you know, developing the heat shock proteins and really, really upregulating the body, you're, you're actually getting much deeper penetration. The issue with the, um, with the traditional sauna is that it really warms up and it's, it's, I mean, they've been using it for a long time. I'm sure, you know, I'm not going to tell someone not to use a traditional sauna, but, but I think, um, you know, it really heats up the outside of your body and your skin. You sweat more quickly. When you're doing a traditional sauna versus a far infrared, but I also think that you know what the data supports is that maybe it, it it's not as um, it's not as focused on health optimization as the as the traditional sauna. And they're, you know, you have the added benefit that you can kind of have them anywhere. They don't, right. Nobody's falling on a heating element and, and there are some other benefits and they've, they've, from a cost perspective, they've gotten, I think it's one of the, you know, top five biohacks that I think that if if people can afford it and have space for it, um, that it's a good idea to roll forward.
0: Yeah. Cool. Yeah.
1: Thanks. Yeah.
0: Thanks. Followed by a little cold plunge. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I want to be cognizant of your time. I know that yeah, we've got another appointment. Yeah. Um, let me let me get to my final question then, sure. and then and maybe we can do a follow up in a few weeks and I would love keep this a, thing going. I would love around two, Matthew. A lot, a lot of other things to talk about. Yeah, yeah, definitely a lot of other things. Yeah. Okay, cool. So as of right now, what's the one change that you'd like to see most within the medical cannabis world?
1: Um, I think for sure it's it's continuing to evolve the dosing, right? I think that 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 not only and so essentially, having every every company that that purports itself to be a medical cannabis company have dosing that a patient can pick the bottle up just like they can a pharmaceutical or a supplement and know how they're going to take that. and And I think that not only you know that's good for the patient, as I alluded to, but it's also good for the practitioner. And I think one of the things with physicians, physicians are are historically very conservative for so many good reasons, right? That I think that the more we can, we can make this something that a, a, you know, a family physician, any type of, of, of physician that's interested in getting educated so that they can have that conversation with their patients, but also maybe they want to start, you know, using, maybe they'll say, Hey, I want to start working on insomnia, right? I'm just going to stick with that and, and giving them the tools that they know, you know, regardless of where their patient is, right? They know that that patient can get started and they can be in the conversation together. And, and I think that, you know, I, I do a fair amount of education with physicians, either talking at medical schools or, or, you know, departments of family medicine. And, you know, they're they're ready for it, but everybody's got a pretty full plate. And if, if we can make it so that, that they recognize this as medicine, and that includes the way that we dose it, right? Then I think that really opens up the conversation, the possibility so much because then the doctors are going to be, you know, and the naturopaths and the acupuncturists, the other clinicians are going to be like, oh, this is interesting. And I feel comfortable that I can go forward with this without doing a fellowship and, you know, cannabis medicine. Right. I, so I think that that really, you know, it's a continued evolution, but I still think it's probably the most important thing. Right. Whole plant, yeah. you know, all, so many other things. But I think if you were to ask me one marquee, that would be that
0: yeah and what that opens up for me is just the necessity of relationships between everybody working within this medical cannabis ecosystem because you have to have the geneticists creating the right strains for the cultivators to grow to pass off to the processors to make sure they have the relationship with the labs so they know they're getting the right formulation that the physician needs to be able to offer the patient and it's like it it all works together synergistically it's
1: completely critical. And it's one of the things where we really have to, if we're going to acknowledge this is medicine, which we are right, more than half the states have, we, we need to also be professional about it and treat it like we do other medicines. And one of the things, um, you know, it's, it's new, but it's also so siloed. Right. That, that there isn't good communication and crosstalk between, as you said, the growers, the manufacturers, the distributors, the, the researchers. Right. We really need to to bring that up to the speed that we do with other uh, other medicines. And I think when that happens, we're really going to, you know, it's going to it's going to further the flourishing of, of cannabis medicine.
0: And it's very exciting. It is very exciting. It's a it's a cool world to be a part of. For sure. Yeah. So we'll keep this conversation going, we'll, we'll, we'll keep this education going, and I'm just thrilled to have you. It's been wonderful, and yeah, I think that there's a lot to gain out of this, this continued dialogue. Perfect. It's been
1: a pleasure on my end as well, Matthew, and I, I would love to get a part two on the books in the next month or so. If you've got the time for it, I'll definitely make the space.
0: Yeah, I will definitely make time for that, no cool. doubt. But thank you, Dr. Harry. Perfect. All right, take care. there you have it folks that was dr harry malkeroy and i really really hope i get to have him on again soon we barely scratched the surface of all the things that he knows in regards to cannabis and I know that he's a pioneer in the space and we will be talking again sometime very soon. And if you haven't already, please go over to Apple or Stitcher or Google or wherever it is that you're listening to this and give me a rating. Tell me what you think. Email me Matthew at edgeofcannabismedicine.com I'd love to hear from you. If you have any guest ideas, if there's things that you think that I can improve upon, I'm always looking to grow and I always want to be bringing you the very best that you can possibly get in regards to the world of cannabis medicine. So until next time, my friends, please stay healthy and enjoy yourselves. This Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast is copyright EM2P2, Inc. 2020, all rights reserved. Podcast use and availability is governed by terms and disclaimers available at edgeofcannabismedicine.com forward slash terms. I'm your host, Matthew Miro, and thank you for listening.